in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, John Flack, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello and welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies, then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and today, joining me, not Brian Fry, not John Flack, we got Chad Robinson. Chad, how are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, Russell. How are you? I'm excited because we're doing the show in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, both of us in the same place. Uh, it's not a cross-country effort, but we are branching out still because joining us today from Nashville, Tennessee, we have Nathan Kojak. Nathan, how are you, sir? Hello. I'm doing well, and you? I'm awesome. So, do you love movies, Nathan? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. The past i don't know how many years i haven't been doing it recently too busy once you grow up and become an adult it uh seems to fade away but in college i i think i saw more movies than anything else activity wise probably every other friday every friday that's a good pastime college college is definitely my peak movie watching era too but i'm getting back into it now with this and <laughs> and netflix that's true <laughs> with the people at home uh let, let them know what is it you do for a living I, uh, that's how I know you actually, is I went to school for architecture, graduated in the best of times, 2009, <laughs> and, and uh, luckily I, I've been able to stick with it and uh, find myself being an intern architect down in downtown Nashville. Nice, nice. Nashville's a very cool town. Yes, lots of uh, cranes in the air and many things going up. And the Batman building. Yes, the Eye of Sauron. Yes, <laughs> it watches over all of us. Um, so what was the uh, last movie that you got to see? The uh, Avengers movie, which was pretty uh, rad. So can't complain there. It ended well and had many twists and turns. You think it's going to break all the records? Uh, it, it hasn't it already? I mean, I, I, thought it, I thought it broke it on opening weekend. And... Avatar. Ava Avatar is untouchable in the Chinese market. Yeah, I was going to say Avatar Avatar is a high bar to pass, but... Well, are you talking about total revenue or are you talking about opening weekend? Because I thought, I thought it beat everything for opening weekend because it opened in Asia the same time it did in the U.S. I was so going, I thought I was going it... total. Yep. Yeah. But oh, yeah. total. Yeah. I still, I still think... I don't know. Uh, give it time. I think it'll it'll beat it. We'll we'll see. It did sink the Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought uh, the Force Awakens was going to do it. Eh, no. Uh, yeah, there was a falling off. <laughs> Maybe the last episode will. Maybe if the prequels didn't exist, the Force Awakens would have been better. Maybe uh, I don't know. I, I who knows? But uh, we've been let down before. So, <laughs> we will be let down again. <laughs> So today we're doing a movie that involves uh, the magic of being a kid. And for you, we're talking about the movie, uh, the magic of movies. So what is your favorite movie from when you were a kid, Nathan? Ooh, uh, it's hard to pick just one, but can, can I throw out two? Sure. There's, there's two that I always go back and forth between, Hackers and Fifth Element. Nice. Oh, nice. So I love those the are the Fifth two Element. that I, I kind of, I, 
it depends on which mood I'm in when you ask me that question. But those are the two that I feel like I, I always, if they're on TV, I end up watching them. Chad, you're, you're a tech guy. Are you into hackers? No. <laughs> we've, we've, we've had this discussion before. Right? It is totally unreal, but yeah. cine, cinematography-wise, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah, I'm a computer guy. This just this does not work for me. Oh, no. It, 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 all the stuff they show on the screen when they're hacking, that's not how it is at all. It's all lines of code and stuff. And they, they show fancy worms and pretty images floating around. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. And Brian, if you're listening to this, Swordfish is a bad movie, too. Oh, boo-hoo. Swordfish is awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, there we go. The, the, the debate continues, and that's fun. Again, again, cinema, cinematography-wise, it's amazing. And you can't go wrong with Halle Berry. Sorry. Oh, X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> so what movie did you want to see as a kid, but you had to wait until you were older to see it, and you wish you were big? Uh, I don't... I, it doesn't apply to me because my parents had no filter and I could see like <laughs> R rated movies when I was like 10. So really? Wow. Yes. Wow. So what, what, as long as, as long as I watched it with them, okay. was, I was the, the kid that saw weird random movies. Um, I can't think of the name of the movie now, but the, the gunslinger one, dirty Harry, not dirty Harry. It's the one where they're, uh, they become like lawmen, but they're not. Wild, I was wild so young West? when I saw it. No, that wasn't <laughs> no, an R rated movie at all. <laughs> I wish that's how Wild West ended. <laughs> that, it, it would have made it a better movie. <laughs> so we talked about uh, uh, you, you being my good college friend, and it reminds me of my college days. I hit the blockbuster pretty hard. What's your favorite blockbuster movie store rental? Or it doesn't have to be blockbuster, just any rental store. What's your favorite memory from a rental store? I have too many memories. from. I mean, we definitely hit blockbuster hard. I just remember always having difficulties picking just a movie <laughs> and then getting in line and waiting for it. But and then always trying to return it without being fined twenty dollars because I didn't bring it back in, in a day. As boring as that sounds. Also, I have another memory of uh, there's a very specific snow day. I was in eight years old and my mom uh, drove me to it was technically Superstar video and uh, we didn't have a blockbuster at that point in time. And uh we went to Little Caesars and got one of those little tiny personal pan pizzas, and I got a, uh, I think it was Fern Gully. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's classic. So, uh, those are those are some of my highlights of uh, when you should be in school and you're watching movies. True. I've just blocked out all the bad from Blockbuster. Today we're gonna do Big with Tom Hanks, and this movie comes out in 1988. It grosses $114.9 million. It places fourth in the box office in the year. Pretty strong showing for a family movie or a fantasy movie or a comedy, however you want to slice it. It's a, it's a strong showing for this type of movie. I don't know that a movie of that type would come in this place today. Do you think so? Oh, no. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how times change. And the, the movie coming ahead, ahead of it at number three that year is Coming to America. And the movie that placed behind it was Twins. Uh, I love all of these movies. And right? Yeah. What a great year. Yeah, 88 mm -hmm. is a good year for movies. And if you're wondering what the number one movie from 88 was, it was Rain Man. <laughs> Hard to beat that. So, also, by the way, check out the Coming to America episode. It is one of our most popular ones. IMDb rates big, 7.3. Rotten Tomatoes critics love this movie. They like it a lot more, and the critics give it 97%. And the audience score gives it 82%. AFIA gives, uh, in the 100 years of laughs, they give us the number 42 ranking. 
AFI gives the 10 greatest films for the fantasy. Expectations and background. Nathan, have you seen this one before? If so, what were your experiences? Oh, I've seen this movie tons of times. Uh, I, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I was probably, I don't know, like late teenager. Just caught it. I heard it, heard about it before and then caught it on TV one day halfway through and then eventually went back and saw the whole thing. I've probably seen this movie dozens of times now. It's one of those classics, again, that when you see on TV and you like it, you just end up watching it. It has that quality that will hook you in in the middle of the movie because it's so good. This is on TV, yes. yes. Oh, I, two hours later. Yeah, I guess this is fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing else is on. The same old crap. I'll watch this old crap again. With commercials. Yes. With commercials. Only um, the finest. Yeah. And so what was your experience coming back to it now uh, this time? Same as always. Just uh, watching it again and finding the uh, little things in it that you missed before and trying to analyze it more than I would normally instead of just watching it for enjoyment, I guess, in order to uh, make sure I could give it a good criticism. Chad, did you enjoy this movie? I did. I saw it probably when I was around eight or so. I'm guessing it was on TV because my parents were ones that they still complain about profanity in the Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, (laughs) To this day, there was one profane word. Uh, so I'm guessing this was a heavily edited TV version with other scenes probably edited out as well. Is there that much swearing in this? I think there's like one F-bomb or something, isn't there? Yeah, there's a couple other uh, heavy swear words for a PG mo- movie. They uh, they definitely changed those ratings. But, uh, uh, true. It's, it's very different viewing this movie now in my uh, 30-somethings uh, compared to when I was eight. So... Yeah, there are different things that occur to me. Does it age well? I think so. I think it's still, at its heart, you know, enjoy things as an adult. Find your inner child, jump on a trampoline, go have fun. <laughs> I find it funny that you say you watched it when you were eight and then roughly 30. Uh, you were almost the same age as Tom Hanks' character, Josh. Yes. <laughs> you were yes. experiencing the things as a kid and then experiencing the exact same things as a 30-year-old adult. Yes. That is interesting. As for me, I saw this movie a little bit later than you guys. I didn't get it until I was a teenager, but I probably would have been about, mm, let's say about 13, 14. And oddly enough, I used to have this thing where I was like, I think Tom Hanks is overrated. And (laughs) I, you know what? I know everybody always says that that's ridiculous, but I mean, I kind of knew him from like Apollo 13 maybe oh see that's that's it you didn't this is one of his first breakout movies yeah that i can think of he he was in a Le- turner and yeah. hooch a league of their own was a league of their own he's not a nice guy in a league of their own so like that's another one that i knew him from at that point and um you just saw it in the wrong order i did i did he he'd only been really side like a side character in most movies i think leading up to this one and then this is where he had one of his biggest breakout roles where he was the main main lead yeah, and so this is this is a large part of what changed my perception and said, "Oh, everybody else is right. Tom Hanks is really good." And uh, <laughs> furthermore, I would not even go as far to say this is my favorite Tom Hanks movie, and that's uh, I, I like several of his movies. So. Oh, Forrest Gump. Where? Whoa! I don't know you. Who are you? I like I love Forrest Gump. I do. All the ones that don't have Meg Ryan in them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the problem. I think you hate that her. Probably. That that might be it. 
Um, so Tom Hanks is not overrated. He deserves all the credit that he gets. And uh, this movie holds up really well because I came back to this as an adult. Uh, I've actually seen it more as an adult. And I got to say, I like it more and more as I age. It, it, it releases my inner child when I go back and see it. It makes me happy. And it uh, gives me nostalgia both for when I was young as well as it shows you the differences of you know, differences when you're young versus when you're older. It's and it's a magical movie for that. It's heartwarming and funny. Yes. So it does both of those things really well. At this point, though, we're going to warn everybody. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen the movie big yet and you don't want to know what happens, then go watch the movie and then come back and join us. After this commercial, there'll be spoilers. Good morning, dedicated listener. Retro Movie Roundtable needs your help gathering feedback, promoting the show, and growing their community of movie-loving fans such as yourself. This classified information is so important that we're only calling on our most skilled officers and agents to handle the case. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating and review. Then proceed to like Retro Movie Roundtable on Facebook. If at any point in your mission, you need to contact us at base. You may also make correspondence via email at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Should you or any of your friends be caught, killed, or exposed, the Retro Movie Roundtable will disavow any knowledge of your actions. The cassette tape inside your listening device will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, listener. And we're back. And once again, there will be spoilers that lie ahead for the movie Big. Nathan, for all the people who haven't seen the movie Big since 1988, do you want to give people a little bit of a refresher? What happens in the movie Big? No, of course not. Yeah, no. Yeah. Why else am I here? <laughs> so uh, my view, I guess one man's opinion of Big, is uh, it is the quintessential movie that comes to my mind when you talk about all movies where kids make wishes or or want something. Uh, Josh is played by Tom Hanks, who wants to be taller or big, in other words, specifically to win over a girl he has a crush on. Uh, why at a fair, he couldn't get on a ride and was heartstruck. So uh, with a little help from Zoltar, a machine that he ends up at a few minutes later, he makes that exact wish to be bigger and winds up waking up the next morning as an adult. So I don't know if anyone's seen 13 going on 30. It was a by far not an original. <laughs> this is definitely the one that takes the cake if you're looking for an original movie that has uh, wishes coming true for people growing up. To continue, the next morning after he wakes up, he's, he's scared of what to do because he's, he's stuck in a man's body. So uh, he runs away to New York in order to find the machine that granted his wish. And with the aid of his best friend, Billy, they find Josh a place to stay and a part-time job to hold him over in order to make ends meet. While struggling to figure it all out, Josh runs into the company owner of where he's now working, uh, FAO Swartz, I think is how you say it, a toy company in downtown New York, and is quickly promoted to a toy testing and development position. Uh, perfect job for a young teen who's stuck in a man's body. And while doing the job, other executives take note of his quick rise to fame and uh, act surprised and jealous one of which is Suzanne, played by Elizabeth Perkins, and becomes drawn to Josh in order to ride his coattails to success. 
but after getting to know him a little bit better, falls in love with him for his charm and kindness. This leads to a major internal conflict for our main hero, Tom Hanks, whether or not he should stay an adult with his newfound love or return to his family and previous life. Ultimately, decides that uh, one of the best lines in the movie, he's talking about how he's got many reasons to become a kid again, but only one reason to stay an adult. The reason I like the movie is full of, full of small, subtle things you'd expect a 13-year-old to do, but appears out of place being performed by someone society would consider an adult. Uh, Tom Hanks' ability to deliver a youthful, energetic, prepubescent teenager is the underlying key to the movie's overall success. Well done, well done. What do we think about the story, Chad? It's odd, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but there were five of these types of movies within a year that came out, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. everyone thought it was going to bomb. But yeah, this this is charming, I think, in no small part due to uh, Tom Hanks. He just, you know, Nathan nailed it. Uh, great at portraying a prepubescent 13-year-old kid and just the joy and energy he brings to it is is a lot of fun and I think a lot of that is Penny Marshall's style with you know her Laverne and Shirley influences it kind of feels like the the 70s type happy-go-lucky movies I don't think we see a lot of movies like this now where the comedy first of all I don't think you see as many PG comedies uh at least now they're all cartoons yeah and it's family-friendly it has a feel-good nature to it. Most comedies now are going to go more for the outlandish, wild moments. I mean, I love Judd Apatow and what he's done with comedies by kicking them up another notch. But comedies in general tend to be very R-rated now and a lot raunchier than I'd say they were in the past. And they were always raunchy comedies, but I feel like that's more what's to be expected with a comedy movie at this point. Uh, there's an extremeness to it. And uh, something that I think that you don't see as often anymore is the touching side of the comedy movies and i thought this when we did the home alone episode as well and perhaps more so here so i don't know is that a fair statement yes no nathan i'd agree with that i mean it's less home alone you know that kind of fun comedy and more cartoons and adult comedy now even even the kids comedies have pg-13 adult humor thrown in there kind of like a that's what she said joke mm-hmm. so that the parents can enjoy it as much as the kids and I feel like in this movie, anyone can enjoy it, but they've still got all those little, it's geared more towards a kid. Because like all the little things that Tom Hanks does that you don't expect an adult to do that a kid would do is still you know entertaining and fun. And you pick up on as you watch the movie. That's a good point. Yeah. I, when you think of adult jokes in a PG movie, I think of Shrek and things like that. But when I think back or when Russell told me, hey, we're going to do big. My initial thoughts were, you know, like the piano scene or him playing in the limo. It's just those, it's very different type of jokes. It's very uh, situational humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly what you would expect a 13-year-old to do riding in a limo for the first time. <laughs> and you, you, were, you nailed it on the head there about Tom Hanks, about how his energy is what carries this movie. And something about his acting performance it's the make or break part of this movie. As Chad mentioned, there were there were a number of other movies out there. I was going to mention this in the production side of it, but there's other movies. So in 1988, you had 18 again. 88, you had Vice Versa. Yeah. 88, you had 14 going on 30. 88, you had Dream a Little Dream. And in 89, you had Like Father, Like Son. Sorry, that one was 80, 87. Dream a Little Dream was 89. But all of these movies are released in this little three-year span 
And it seems to be a common, you know, play on Freaky Friday, which was actually a 70s movie, if I'm not mistaken, maybe yep. early 80s. And you have this like body swap or this is this is different, though. Nathan, I know you probably haven't seen many of these other movies because they haven't held up over time. No, I've seen like at least half or more of them when I was a kid. Oh, perfect. I don't remember them. I don't remember them as well as this one. And I think that's because this is the one that everyone loved the most. And that's why it gets so much more airtime than the rest. What made this one stand out and make it made us perhaps say the other ones we forget? The I would the subtleties, the just the little things, how they portrayed Josh as an adult. And instead of they could have just easily told the storyline of, you know, a kid being an adult. But instead of just having the words, it was the the body motions and the joy and the, you know, ejector seat through the sunroof window (laughs) and then waving her up. And when he waves her up, he he fingers her up like, come on, you got to try this or jumping on a trampoline inside a downtown New York apartment. How many how many adults? have a full-size trampoline in their 30-foot ceiling apartment in downtown New York full of bouncy balls and a bunk bed. <laughs> and when she goes to touch the ship, he's like, don't touch that. It's not dry yet. You know, things like that. It's 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 just well done in finding those little uh, introsequencies, however you say that word, that you, you would expect to see from a kid, but not someone that's as old as Tom Hanks in the movie. It also helps that this is done before Michael Jackson got weird. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say that helps. Yes. After around 1994 or so, maybe 93, somewhere in there, uh, the notion of a grown man having all this stuff around maybe changes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You you couldn't. I w- I, w- <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to talk about this or not, but I did. While I was trying to psychoanalyze the movie in my own head, I did come to that conclusion that it's a it would be a little awkward if that movie came out right now. No one would watch this movie if it wasn't already old because at the end of the movie, he admits to a woman, I'm 13, and they, they even in the 80s, they couldn't handle it quite. And then it, he turns back into a boy, and you can see she still kind of loved him a little bit. And it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this would pass enough now. That everyone's very, you know, don't touch my child. So she took that extraordinarily well. Think, yeah. think about it. Not only has she come to the realization, oh, I'm a sex offender, but she also has to acknowledge magic is real. <laughs> and and her response is, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that adds up. <laughs> and she witnesses it firsthand too. He's literally in a business suit, turns into a boy, and walks off. And it's just like, what did I just see? <laughs> she took that like a champ. <laughs> to the chin. It, it, it is very funny that, uh, you, as you mentioned, some of these classic uh, movies that we've come to love and have this... There's, that, that's an uncomfortable concept, as you both mentioned. But uh, it also... I've mentioned this before as well. I mean, in Back to the Future, they had a hard time getting this movie made. Uh, it went in front of a number of studios... And people didn't want to touch it. Like when it got to Disney's desk, they're like, whoa, you know, the mother liking the son. That's that's incest. Uh, I don't want to touch that with a 20 foot pole. Like, go go away. You're, you're a terrible person. Also, Biff is a little rapey. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah. 
It's nope. fine. What, do you, what does he do now? Wash cars or something like that? I think he's the president of the United States, but it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Zing! He was based off of that. Come on. I'm not making it up. Look it up. Google it. It makes so much sense, though. I didn't know that. It feels right. It is. It is. I'm not... That, that There's articles on that. I'm not even... I think they even interviewed... This is way off subject, but I think they even interviewed the, the writer, and he said... He agreed to it completely that it was based off of our current president. Well, so I'll say was, what Susan said. It. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chad, do you want to give us a uh, rundown on the cast, being that Brian is not here to give us the honor of the cast rundown? I do. Uh, so our leading man is Tom Hanks. Uh, he plays Josh Baskin. He's a 32-year-old version of the younger Josh Baskin. Uh, we know Tom Hanks from such great movies as Polar Express and Toy Story. As previous mentioned, Apollo 13. And, and all, all of Meg Ryan movies. Forrest yeah. Gump. You, no, none of that. None of, the, <laughs> none of the good ones. You've got mail. That's what we know him from. Ooh, yes. That is also a great movie. Oh. <laughs> Lady Killers. <laughs> we're we're going to move on. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth Perkins, she plays Susan Lawrence. She really hasn't done a whole lot. She was Wilma in the Flintstones, the 1992. Wilma! You know what? I don't remember her. I remember uh, Sally from Third Rock from the Sun, Kristen She did Weeds. Wasn't that her in Weeds? Yes, Yes, it was. It was. That was great. Uh, She's not in a lot of star-struck roles in the big screen, but she's been on a lot of TV shows. Yeah. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Robert... Logier. Logier. Uh, He plays Mr. McMillan. He's... Uh, the toy store owner. He was General Gray from Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Amongst he's he got long filmography. Yes. Yeah. He is. Uh, he is decorated. He's all over the place. <laughs> John Hurd. He played Paul Davenport, who was a coworker for of Josh and Susan. He's also Kevin McAllister's dad. He's good as a corporate slimy shark or slimy corporate shark. Yeah, they probably could have made him. More hateable? Like, I was okay with the racquetball scene beat down. More hateable? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> uh, John Lovitz, he played Scotty Brennan. He was another co-worker. He was the cubicle mate of Josh Baskin. The Critic, Rat Race, just a ton of things. Saturday Night yeah, Live. Yeah, that's the ticket. And I've got to throw it in because I love that 70s show. Small part, but Deborah Jo Rupp, she plays Mrs. Patterson, who is the secretary for Mr. McMillan. Oh, yeah, Kitty from that 70s show. Yes. Yeah. Talking about uh, the casting here and how important it was, uh, Nathan, how would you feel if this movie had Robert De Niro in it instead of Tom Hanks? <laughs> it would not be the same movie. <laughs> you, he would be, he'd be on speed in order to have the energy that Tom Hanks did. I feel like, I don't know, it just, it doesn't, I don't feel like he would play the character as lightheartedly as tom hanks did and why, and why do we ask this question chad because <laughs> he was originally attached to the movie but uh, really thanks for to his six million dollar salary requirement they nixed the idea but yeah he would be a much angrier josh Baskin. <laughs> yes <laughs> so de niro was uh Hands was it wasn't yeah and de niro was actually gonna do it uh he he wanted it that they wanted him it was just the price that made the thing fall apart and uh 
It is hard to believe that Tom Hanks was not people's first choice. In fact, he was down the list. There were a number of other choices for this one. It's a little hard to know when with internet lure out there, so take take this with a grain of salt. But I mean, other candidates they said they considered, and granted, they were considered. John Travolta was Penny Marshall's top choice for the role of Josh Baskin. Yeah, they called and, him box office poison, though, which yeah. is true again. It's crazy. I'm big, guys. My ass is really crazy. We've circled back to John Travolta box I office love poison. No, no, not at all. Of course, the problem I'm having is as you're describing all of these different people, I'm picturing Tom Hanks young because I just watched the movie, but I'm picturing everyone else you just said at their current age, <laughs> which doesn't really fit. I would have role. given you a different Travolta than I would have given you this very, very dry. Oh, no, I'm big. Yeah. Harrison thinking, Ford. Uh, what's the movie where uh, his quintessential movie from back in the 80s? I can't even think of it now. Grease? Grease. Oh, Not Grease. After that. Pulp Pate? Fiction? But that's Pulp Fiction. I'm picturing like him in Pulp Fiction <laughs> playing big. <laughs> that's an interesting crossover. Quentin Tarantino's. Um, yes. Big. Big. <laughs> greased back, long hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the hotel scene would go very different. <laughs> or he's singing the whole time. Yes. Playing the piano, but instead of playing the piano, he's just singing along. What if his hands were machine guns? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even it know. Would, it would be a different kind of big then, but yes. I don't even know why Harrison Ford was even listed in the running. Like, he is an angry man. I love Han Solo. <laughs> I love Indiana Jones. He does not express delight very much. No, no. He no, he's a grumpy guy. He's a, he's a grumpy young man, in fact. <laughs> so, uh, but other good candidates might have been Robin Williams. I actually could see Robin Williams doing That one I could see. Bill Murray might have done a pretty good job with this one. He was he was a candidate. He chose to do Scrooged instead. Uh, so that everybody wins on this one. Everyone does win. But other less likely names were Judge Reinhold and John Goodman were just considerations. I don't feel good about those. Michael Keaton would have been good. Yeah. I feel like Tom Hanks should go back and thank everyone you just listed personally like for turning down this role or wanting too much money. Because I'm still not convinced without it, he would be nearly what he is today. Like, it's that, it's that linchpin in his career. My favorite one of those in an alternate universe, Gary Busey. Oh, no. Was playing Josh. No. No, okay, so that's, he wanted, oh. Busey wanted it, they didn't want him. So yeah, that, that one's different. They said, you can't play an adult, but I can't picture child Gary Busey. Yeah. I can, I can picture someone like Brendan Fraser doing this, though. Later, yeah, it's too soon for him. But yeah, he hasn't had his breakthrough. But uh, some other people who actually were interested or declined the role, I should say. Harrison Ford, Albert Brooks, Dennis Quaid, Steve Gutenberg, and the dude himself, Jeff Bridges, all turned down the role of Josh Baskin, mm. apparently. So, wow. Again, take all this with a grain of salt. It's from the internet. But these stories kind of come from a place. Like I know uh, Dennis Quaid was on Larry King when he said that he turned it down to do uh, uh, Everybody's All-American. Uh, Steve Gutenberg turned it down uh, to do Three Men and a Baby. So there are stories and interviews behind these things most of the time. So uh, take that for what it is. While we're on alternative castings, this one's interesting. Instead of playing uh, Kevin McAllister's dad, as we said in Home Alone, John Hurd, John Lithgow was considered for that role. Hmm. Hmm. I I would have liked that more. I like I like Lithgow. I, yes. I, I, generally, Lithgow's going to be go over well with me. Yeah, he was great in the new Pet Cemetery. I enjoyed that. Would he have looked 30, though? Or would it have been 13 to 40? I do think he probably would look a tad old at this time. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, but you don't necessarily need John or 
Paul's character to be young. He he's be... got to be believably in a relationship with Susan, though. And even at this point, he's probably a little on the old side to be with Susan. But we've already yeah. established she basically slept with everyone in the company to get ahead. So <laughs> I, that I, is very true. I don't. I don't think there were ages attached. She wouldn't have had. They would have had to rewrite it a little bit instead of. They never really. If I don't remember correctly, they never gave him a finite age no. that no. he turned. They, I know for a fact they said he was 13 because there was the point where he, he broke the secret to Susan and she asked how old he was. And I think she said, like, what, you're 12? He's like, no, I'm 13. And it, but I don't know if they ever agreed upon an actual age. The only time they even hinted at it was when him and Billy were having the discussion. And he, he said, I'm like 30. And he's like, you may be older than that. And they hit him and they ran off. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So that's all we that's all we know for sure. Let's see how old Tom Hanks actually was in 1980. He was 32. I he was 32. Yeah, up. I looked it up as well. <laughs> I think he was 31 or 32. Yeah, and Elizabeth Perkins was 28. Wow, I was the yeah. most underprepared person for that one. I, I was like, let's see how he looks on the Google machine. Everybody else had that on the tip of their fingers. Just coasting I, on your guess. Only because I looked it up too. And I don't think it said his age at the time. I literally had to do my math and yeah. find out how old he was now. Versus when he was born and what year it was when he made the movie. So, Good call on that, though. And so one last funny, fun, interesting casting note is Tracy Reiner, John Lovitz, and Tom Hanks all go on to appear in A League of Their Own from this movie. And that movie's in 1992. And who else directs it? None other than Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Penny Marshall likes her people in this movie. They Everybody wins off of this one. And they all have another win again with A League of Their Own. And while I... I think I may have said that I didn't like Tom Hanks in The League of Their Own. He's playing a dislikable person, and I do love that movie. It's just, it was interesting to me that absolutely none of the cast believed in this movie. Like, John Lovitz got sick, he took a leave, and then he didn't come back. And he's quoted as saying, eh, I didn't think it'd be a big thing. Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Perkins are joking about how this is going to go straight to VHS. You know, that's like DVD for you young kids out there uh, but, but, <laughs> and then yeah. it made 114,000 you said that's Which, like straight to itunes download for you younger kids out there oh yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm behind on my media types 114,000 or no sorry 114 million yes dollars back then would be like a billion now so fourth, fourth in the box office is is a, a big accomplishment this this is a big hit so and you're right yeah. nobody wanted to make this thing it's interesting penny marshall uh, got the script and was interested in doing the movie, but it was only when De Niro said that he wanted the part did this thing start getting traction. Yeah. So as much as we cringed, and I think of the names we mentioned, I honestly think Robert De Niro's towards the bottom for who I would want to play this role. Like, uh, you, agree. Like yeah. if you said if you said uh, Keaton or Baby Bill Murray was going to do this or Robin Williams, I'd give it a go. I mean, it wouldn't be as good without, without Tom Hanks, but I mean... Uh, now, Robin Williams is my jam. You could replace him with almost anybody. Especially in like the lightheartedness. It's true. Yeah, and and he would he would he would fit. I mean, I've got a whole rant I could go off on about about the genie. Who can replace the genie? I'm sorry, but Will uh, Smith. Will Smith is not going <laughs> to cut it. I I'm I'm boycotting that movie. Well, Robin Williams had uh, what was it, Jack? Uh, he's also a man-child, not only in Jack, but he, he's also he in Hook You're because right. he's a man who goes back to Never Neverland and yeah. discovers his inner child. So. True. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot about that. That does count. Jack is probably more accurate, but that's what the whatever disease he had that made him age four times the rate of a normal person. So not 
not quite the same, but similar. I remember being a kid and getting Jack and thinking, this is going to be hilarious. And it, it was, was not. It was pretty serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, this is the heavy side of what this would be like. He does that a couple <laughs> times. I'm looking at you, Patch Adams. Ooh, oh, that's yeah, true. No. That's, that's based on a true story. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was also a jerk in real life. <laughs> yeah, also West Virginian. Uh, that's where Chad and I are from, so fun story in that one. So, I'm sorry. Oh, wait, I mean... That's West okay. Virginia is great. <laughs> that's mm. right. I'm from Ohio. You guys are sworn to hate me, so that's all right. that's okay. No, it's okay. You've just been dubbed to decide all the elections, so this is your fault. <laughs> yes, I apologize on behalf of all Ohioans. As Chad mentioned, Penny Marshall is directing this. This is the first film directed by a woman to gross over a hundred million in the U.S. box office. So it's mm. it's not only a big hit. It, for everybody involved not tom hanks but this is a big hit for for lady directors so congratulations penny marshall yes well deserved i didn't know that yes now i didn't watch a lot of laverne and shirley and you mentioned being a little more familiar with this one chad oh yeah you said there are some sensibilities of her comedy which i know she's nominated for three golden globes or uh i believe it is mm-hmm. as an actress what is it that she had there that you see in this movie well, it was a, I'm going to get this mixed up, but it and Happy Days, if you've seen Happy Days, they're very similar type sitcoms. Um, John Lovitz reminded me a lot of, uh, there were characters called Lenny and Squiggy. Mm-hmm. They were kind of these scumbaggy, greaser type guys that were uh, always hitting on Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> um, so yeah, when John Lovitz is like pointing out the women that are easy in the office, I was like, dude, where? Why do I keep getting on podcasts where HR is just absent from these companies? It's the 80s. There was no HR. Oh, he was bad. He was bad even for the 80s, though. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was was very similar of, like, you know, scummy greaser type characters. You've got... uh, that's my best quote, though. You're ruining like my superla- all my superlatives oh, for later. I'm sorry. The, the, the jerk guys. The, the there's always the sweet, loving kind of almost childlike guys too. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned this. I just now realized uh, one of uh, John Lovitz's big characters from Saturday Night Live is also uh, with Tom Hanks, who was a frequent guest at the time. And they're called the Lady Watchers. Yes. And uh, a woman, like 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 a attractive woman, would walk by, and they'd be like. Hello and goodbye. <laughs> she was not interested. <laughs> and they would keep like hitting on these women and getting shut down or ignored in many cases. And uh, they they didn't have the they never lost that cocky, arrogant like attitude, but then they just kept being rejected. It's it's a really good sketch, so check out the Lady Watchers if you want more John Lovett's Tom Hanks action. I feel like if I were a real life character, I would be John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> Work slower. <laughs> yes, just a little bit. So, Nathan, let's talk about again. You were talking about some of the subtleties. Pull out some of those subtleties that you are a biggest fan of that Tom Hanks does that he picks up on that youthful nature. Well, one of my favorite scenes I don't think we've discussed yet, or or maybe we have and I just forgot, is when they're at the party and he shows up. I mean, that whole scene, I just love it. And he, he, he's, he walks in and everyone's like, I bet he gets another promotion. And he <laughs> climbs down the stairs and he's wearing just this most outlandish <laughs> tux. Yeah. You're like, what the hell? And he, he's like, I, it was a tuxedo party. This is why I rented this. And he's like, 
I was, you know, I tied my own bow tie. That's why I'm 45 minutes late. He's never <laughs> tied a bow tie before. And then he's walking around and he runs into the woman he's told to avoid and, and like scurries away as fast as he can. <laughs> and then he, he goes over to the, the, uh, what is it? The, the buffet that's out and he starts picking at it. And of course, a teenager at a high end office party with alcohol and food galore has never been in that situation before. So what does he do? He tries one of the dips and it's good. So he keeps going back with the same carrot <laughs> over and over, not just double dipping, but like whatever the word for like seven times dipping is and does that till he finishes it. And then he picks up a baby corn. And that is the best scene. One of the best scenes in the movie yes. is when he picks up the baby corn baby that he's corn. never had before and starts to eat it like a full corn on the cob. And I'm like, who eats a baby <laughs> corn like it's a full corn on the cob? And it's just ridiculous. It takes a minute of the movie, and all he's doing is eating a baby corn like a corn on the cob. It's just genius. I'm like, who, whoever thought of that should, should win an award. I don't know. Should be paid triple. Well, it's Tom Hanks on that specific thing. He ad-libbed the, uh, the corn cut. and Penny <laughs> did. Mar- and- it's just genius. And Penny Marshall, credit to her for pausing on it as long as she did. Like, you could have just, like, done, <laughs> done it for a second. But I, if you ever know, like, I think Family Guy is really good at this. Uh, Seth MacFarlane will, like, pause on a joke and let it simmer, let it simmer, let it simmer. And it gets funnier somehow. Like, it, it, like you laugh, then you the stop more you laughing. See it. But yep. then you laugh harder. And this, this corn cob, this little miniature Chinese uh, dish corn cob that you see him, like, chewing on. Uh, it does that. Like you laugh, you go, ha that's funny. And then you like, go, oh, they're still doing it. He's still yeah. doing it. He's still working at it. Look how hard he's working at it. And then it gets funnier. So. <laughs> I feel like the first time they shot that, they ab-libbed it. But I feel like the cast probably lost their <laughs> and just laughed and laughed and laughed. And then they went back and they said, like, let's do that again. again. But everyone taste straight-faced and stay in character because – I feel like if I was standing behind the camera when that happened, I would probably start chuckling and they'd be like, shut up. It just goes to show you that Tom Hanks really is a funny guy, especially in the 80s. Yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. The uh, other interesting thing is uh, Penny Marshall, in order to really understand how to capture the scene, as well as to help Tom Hanks uh, figure out his, his approach to this, she would insert the young actors into it. So he, she would take... The young Josh, which uh, was played by David Mosco, and have him play with Billy, who's Jared Rushton, and actually see how that they would interact in the scene. And so things like, you know, oh. barfing up the silly string with each other yeah. or like how they were playing and how they were talking. Tom watched that and, and then mimicked it, picked up on those man and then picked up on those mannerisms. And again, as you mentioned, just to see an adult do these things, it's pretty funny. So, yeah. That's why it feels so authentic. I mean, can you imagine having a movie? You're dealing with children, actors, times, which your your labor laws like restrict you on that. <laughs> to so so you got to move, and so but to slow down and to really make sure that you get why how authentic these scenes are. I mean, I, I feel like everything was cheaper back then too. <laughs> having a kid on set was probably five hundred bucks versus now it costs you ten grand for a day. True, but they're hard to work with. Clearly, Manhattan True. apartments were cheaper. They always said <laughs> on his second <laughs> a, paycheck. A lot cheaper. 
So, I mean, it, it just, I think that is a large part of the reason why there's this authenticity of this movie. And I, I think that we were talking about some of the differences and perhaps some of the other body switch things. I think Penny Marshall should also get some credit as well for that. It does feel like, I don't know, I watch this and I go like, man, I did that as a kid. I, I, I'm ashamed to say this, but I was telling Mary the scene where Paul and Josh go play racquetball outside and then they get in an argument whether it's on the line whether it's over the line and they get in this fight and then give me the ball no no and like you chase each other I've been on not one side but both sides of that very same altercation (laughs) like where you're like rolling on the ground like give me the ball no I still feel like Josh at like fancy dinner parties and things like that if you put mushrooms on things I feel like that's gatekeeping against me it's just like you you don't belong here for halloween Uh, can you please wear that tux that would be amazing and and the best part is if you did three people would get it everyone else would be like why are you dressed like that which character are you they'd think i was doing dumb and dumber but got it wrong that (laughs) that would now you need to do this that would be even better and then you just you just play along like yeah that's exactly who i am but i feel like that's that's the reason the movie was so great is because even as you watch it as an adult like you pick up on that the that's one reason i think the movie did so well and people still love it to this day is because everyone even as an adult wants to feel or feels like a kid sometimes you know you you don't ever really grow up everyone acts like a child once in a while no matter how old you are and that's why i feel like the movie did so well and still does well is because when you watch it you feel like a child no, I agree 100%. And that's that's part of the magic of... And that's when I talk about this movie having heart, it's not necessarily... It's not like it's a great love story, necessarily. It's got that... No, it shouldn't be. Gosh, man. <laughs> just relax. I saw this labeled as romance. I'm like, no, don't do that. No, this relax. is not a romance. <laughs> but it, it, it's sentimental. It's nostalgic for your own childhood. And no matter when you're from... And yes, uh, we're, I'm the right age that that would put me as back in my childhood in the 80s. But I don't think it matters. I think it transcends time. And I think this movie's aging really well. Well, half of the oh, stuff he pitched wound up coming true. Like he's essentially during the, the board meeting pitching... He's a good uh, toy thinker. He yeah. pitches Beast Wars. He's like, hey, they should turn into animals. They should be robots turning into animals. So it's like, oh, yeah, the Maximals and the Predacons and the <laughs> Dinobots. So it's like, oh, oh, yeah. And then he's pitching the interactive comic book. I was like, they have these now. They're, they're video games and they're by Telltale. They have like The Walking Dead. <laughs> what do you mean you don't get it? <laughs> That was a good jerky line. <laughs> that is actually probably uh, one of the best things in the movie is like when he raises his hand and he's like, yes. And who raises their hand in a, in a board meeting and then turns to him and he's like, you know, he, he asks the question. I don't get it. He's like, what, you know, what's this? What don't you get? And then he does it again, raises his hand. I still don't get it. Like just smack him across the face. As architects, Nathan, it makes me a little sad. And he goes, it's a building. It's not that fun. <laughs> but he's right what kid wants to play with a building oh, I'm going to play with a building I'm going to build it myself out of Legos there you go that's okay. that's what, and when, that's when a building is fun is when you build it yourself not when a robot turns into a building he's right that, that would have been a horrible toy <laughs> uh, and so one last one that I want to bring up that Tom Hanks brought into the uh, mix was in an interview he mentioned that his own son had been to summer camp and had a similar kind of rap song to the shimmy shimmy cocoa pop rap. oh yeah and so again 
These are things that Tom Hanks is injecting into the movie. Things that I'm pretty sure De Niro would not come up with. I had no idea that was an actual thing outside of the going down, down, baby. Like, I didn't know that was a song outside of the song that we grew up with. Out of Outside of kids actually singing it? I didn't know kids sang it. I knew the, the terrible, oh. like, R&B. Well, I believe Nelly gets his influence from this movie, but I don't think it's a one-to-one. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I just country, he's talking about them song Country Grammar. Is that what it's called? I just yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. I know yeah, I know the song, I didn't know the name. Yeah, you know, like... Nelly for all of you who are too young to know this uh was a rapper it's definitely on the pop side of rap and he had a band-aid on his che- cheek for no reason. I always wondered like what's the band-aid for? Yeah, but for he, someone to walk up and rip it off. <laughs> but he says shimmy shimmy cocoa pop. And I was like, "Oh, did he steal this from Big? Because that that hurts your street cred a little bit. Stealing from Tom Hanks. He was also very proud of St. Louis. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know that St. Louis is that proud of St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> and our ratings in Missouri just dropped. <laughs> Shouldn't you feel a little shame? Uh, Always. So uh, Penny Marshall hasn't directed very many movies necessarily. It's not the longest list, but obviously Big is a big win. Uh, League of Their Own is another one, which, by the way, she's also the executive producer on that one. Other ones include Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg, which was her first one. That's actually a pretty fun movie. Uh, Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito, Preacher's Wife with Denzel Washington, and surprisingly, she goes dormant for a long, long time and comes back in 2001 and does Writing in Cars with Boys, which I believe has Drew Barrymore in it. Yeah, she went back to uh, James Brooks, who was the producer on this. She worked with him again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, Penny Marshall, great director, as we talked about. I just, I, I cannot, uh, you know, approve enough of her. I wish she had directed more because her comedic sensibilities are excellent. She, and not all of those movies are serious either. Are, are, sorry, some of those movies that I was mentioning are serious. She uh, did Will Ferrell's Bewitched. Shame, yeah. Shame on her. <laughs> that wasn't funny. She actually Renaissance did, Man was great. And that's that was a role good for Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about uh, movies that De Niro would have been in. Well, she does work with De Niro in 1990s Awakenings with uh, Robin Williams, who we've been talking about a lot in this episode. But this is not a funny movie. This is a drama that's out there as well. So we're in 19 ni- sorry we're in 1988 New York City downtown Manhattan and uh, also the New Jersey suburbs. Uh, the carnival scene takes place at Fort Lee Historic Park in uh, New Jersey, which overlooks the George Washington Bridge. Uh, that's where the carnival is. Oh, that's an actual... I thought it was just like one of those fly-by-night sort of operations that my parents would never play, let me play on because it was unsafe. That's an actual park? Well, there's a park, yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have the amusement park stuff set up full-time, but it, it's a it's a recreational park. Okay. No, yeah. You confused me, too, because I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's always yeah. there? Yeah, well, the carnival. I need to go check this place out. Yeah. They get advertised. Shot, the place big was shot. You want to get a hold of that Zoltar machine, that's for sure. I do. Oh, yeah. I want to wish I was young again, though. Can I go the opposite direction? I know. Be, can I be 13 with all the knowledge I have now? Don't that, make these stupid mistakes. Yes. That, that's what I thought Susan should have done. I was like, do you have any idea how much I would tear up school again, like if I could keep my current knowledge, but then be younger? Do you have yeah. any idea how much I don't want to go through high school again? That's okay, that, that's a very good point. And but at the same time, when your teachers are like, this will be important one day, you'd be like, lie. <laughs> <laughs> and junior high, too. Yeah. It, that, that's a double win. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not no, worth no. it. Can I, can I be 15 again instead of 13? Skip the whole, you know, puberty. 
There's a certain subsection that were popular in high school. They were like, yeah, I'd like to go back, but I'm out. <laughs> it's true. This may this may strike all of your listeners as uh, really shocking, but Chad and I were not cool. <laughs> Still aren't. Still not. It's fine. No! <laughs> but anyway, uh, FAO Schwartz, anybody been there? Uh, this is a really cool toy store. Yes. Uh, I have not. Chad, when did you get to go to FAO Schwartz? Tell me, please tell me it was when you were young. Yeah, uh, I was probably about 11 or 12 when I got to go see it. So they they still have the piano. Everyone's trying to do the same darn thing. I was going to say, yeah, everyone's probably reliving that scene. Yeah, you what can't get anywhere near Heart. Chopsticks and Heart and Soul yes. were the two songs they played. Yeah, Which has I, been I, driving me nuts because I don't know any other words to Heart and Soul other than the very first words, <laughs> Heart and Soul. So it's been stuck in my head, but it's just do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> yeah and it's just i have to say i went to it when it was still on fifth avenue they've actually closed it down and then they moved it to rockefeller plaza it reopened again much later it was magical though as a kid going in there the clock tower with the train yes. set running around it yes the piano was there honestly i don't play piano so the piano was an afterthought for me i hadn't seen the movie big when i was there but i just remember thinking like this is a normal toy store for New York City, which it's not. It's 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 oh, wow. it, it's on steroids, but it was like four floors of toys, and I just could not like. I was an overload. I was going down every aisle, of just like even even aisles that like I might have been too old for this toy or whatever. It's just like, look how many toys they have. <laughs> I want one of all of them. I was just like, this is insane. And I, I don't remember what toy I got. My parents did get me a toy there. And I'm, I'm, I thank them for that because I assure you, when buying a toy from FAO Schwartz and Fifth Avenue, you paid 2x price for oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your kid's basically on crack right now. Are you going to say no to him? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I, it was an overload for a kid. And so it really is a magical place. That is a real place. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a special place. It's when a... was Toys R Us founded? I feel like they basically said, how can we replicate this everywhere? I know. We'll make a box store that's filled with just toys. Not nearly as magical. I don't know mm. why. I don't. Well, because you couldn't play with as many. They you're were right. More just they were just there, but not out that you can mess around with. You're right. You could you could actually use a lot of the stuff on display at FAO Shorts. There was more interaction there. It was such a weird depiction of New York, though. Like I know New York was a little bit more dangerous in the '80s than it is present day. Like, he gets off the train, and there's some guy talking about stabbing a girl with a knife. Then he's Kill her! Kill her! Strangle her! Drown her! Then he's immediately hit up by a bum and two prostitutes, like... (laughs) Shooting outside? Yeah, there's shooting outside of his... A Spanish man yelling aggressively in the hallway? Yeah, I... If anyone speaks... That hotel looks safe. If anyone speaks based Spanish, on a religious right name. in. Yeah, it's Christian. Yeah. It's Christian. We should go into this hotel. We'll be fine. And then they get upstairs and you hear a gunshot. <laughs> I do wonder what he was saying. Like, uh, there's that one Romstein song where they're they're basically talking about the ingredients to bake a cake, but it's uh, it's all in German, so it sounds super intimidating. So maybe he's just reading some peaceful poetry, but it's all in Spanish and aggressive. <laughs> he sounds angry. I don't yeah. know. Also, I don't know why. I just as the architect in me says, who who thought this was a good idea to have a corner sink just like shoved in the room and then have a shared bathroom for everybody else in this hotel? Like this literally seems like the w- worst idea for a hotel. But they probably found something really like that. So uh, I'm sad that that probably does really exist. <laughs> But it's interesting that you mentioned that. And I think we've mentioned this before on the Coming to America episode. Uh, New York 
has a very different perception as as uh, suburbanization like guts it out. By the time the 70s and early 80s roll around, New York is not necessarily a nice place. It's far more cleaned up now, and you're you are right to some degree. It is on the upswing at this point, but they're definitely latching on to that old perception of like Manhattan or New York City downtown in general. That's terrible. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good 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 observation on your part. And then the other last one I want to point out is the Zoltar machine. I really like the, the, the there is an amusement park there called the Rye Playland in Rye, New York. And that's where the second wishing of Zoltar goes, where he wishes to be young again. I love that shot that Penny Marshall sets up. You see the water on one side. You see that, like, uh, the overhang of the columns and stuff like that on that curved axis there. It looks just really good shot. It's not going to be my shot of the movie. I'm saving that for later, but great choice. You say that, but I just want to dump all over that by saying the minute I saw that scene for the cinematography, it's great. But I'm like, when those machines get wet and not work anymore? <laughs> Too practical, Nathan. Exactly. It works even when it's unplugged, it's fine. That too. Well, that that's the magic. I told that you I, that I can get behind. <laughs> but the fact that all those games would just be left out in the open in the ring, the architect to me is like, that's not practical, and I hate it. Zoltar looks strangely like Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> it's like they knew he was coming. <laughs> I like that you said that. So, young Josh, David Mosco. I actually want to point out right now, I really like how they got a young actor. This is a pet peeve of mine sometimes where you get like a young actor that looks nothing like the older actor, but Josh Josh Moscow looks really believable as young Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yes, no? Not anymore, though. No? I haven't checked <laughs> I Googled, him out. I Googled what he looked like now because I pulled up the current list of actors. Oh, he is not aged yeah. as well as Tom Hanks would have been. If I was him as a younger kid, I would only hope to have ended up looking like Tom Hanks when he was 30. So you're saying if he's but, on a dating website now, he would put up Tom Hanks's picture and hope for the yes, best? He would do better <laughs> with Tom Hanks's picture <laughs> if he put it up. But I, I agree with your your sentiment that they... I could visualize one becoming the other, <laughs> but unfortunately, 30 years has passed, and they look nothing alike. I got to give them credit, though. Uh, Penny and Marshall, again, in the, in the wardrobe group, they actually put contact lenses in David Moscow so that he would better match the eye color for Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. So nice, nice attention to detail in a movie where you might not expect that attention to detail. So child abuse, they made the kid change his eye colors, but not the adult. I see what's going on. Again, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's harder to change brown eyes. Uh, that I didn't know. I don't know. Tom Hanks has way more screen time. I think it's just a function of who has to wear contacts less. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, too. Susan, uh, this is my favorite piece of the wardrobe thing, though. Did anybody notice the transformation of Susan throughout the movie, like in terms of how she's not no. only acting, but what she she's went wearing? From, she went from, well, I, not maybe the worst term to use, but she went from a little more promiscuous to more churchgoer if that's what you're hinting at i was gonna just say she went from uptight because she's in like this boardroom she's got like this power suit thing from the 80s her hair is pulled back she's very harsh looking yeah and everything got very loose at the end like loose fitting and, and then we see her later at the party the she loose. seems like she's cutting up a little bit but then she leaves the party with him and then she she like ditches the the jacket and then she lets her hair down later then she's wearing the football uniform. Then the next day she start, she's actually got her hair down as she leaves the house and she's riding the car with Paul. 
And then uh, her makeup's starting to seem a lot less harsh as well. As the movie progresses, she basically becomes, I guess you could say, younger and more youthful in her own approach. More schoolgirlish. So, I don't know if... uh, She starts playing with the radio in Paul's car. Yeah, it's not just her behavior, though. I think the wardrobe reinforces that change that she's... I, I, I equate this as she's getting back in touch with her inner child. Yeah. She's becoming more relaxed. Instead of uptight, she's more sociable. Or maybe that's not the right word. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, soundtrack for this movie, it definitely has the feels, as you would say. This is a Howard Shore score. It definitely has that 1980s, you know, you got the strings that make you the feel-good moments and stuff like that. Uh, some people might call this cheesy, but you know what? It's the sentimentality that just makes me eat this up even more. What do you guys think, Nathan? I agree with that. It's just like it's, like we've been saying, it's all the little things that you don't expect in a movie that definitely feels 80-ish, but still carries over well into even the you know late 2000s. Chad? The man made the soundtrack for Lord of the Rings. He can do no wrong. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. So the trampoline scene, I actually want to point this out in the soundtrack. It features a song, and I sat there watching it, and I was like, this sounds really familiar. And then I, then it clicked. I rebounded again, and I was right. So in the trampoline scene, it's a song called Forget Me Nots, and it's played by Patrice Russian. It sounds familiar because it's Will Smith's Men in Black. And the backtrack, oh, from, and wow. the, the backtrack for Men in Black from 1997, the song that Will Smith does, you know, the, the good guys dressed yeah. in black, remember that, just in case we have a face-to-face and make contact. You remember far more of those lyrics than I do. Title held by me. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Here's what you think you saw. You did not see. Wow. You it, it are keeps going. so much a nerd. I remember Here Comes the Men in Black. The well, ones that you'll remember. Well, in the song, though, by Patrice Russian, you'll definitely pick up that backtrack line of Men in Black. And so I was sitting there, I was like, Oh my gosh, I never realized that was a sample. It makes sense. Rap music's frequently sampled, but I didn't know this until now. So th- on this viewing, I actually connected that. So My favorite one is the Wild Wild West song that Will Smith again uses. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the original song, but every time I hear it on the radio, I want to start singing Wild Wild West, but it is not. Oh yeah, that does mess with you when you hear the original. That was the best part of that movie was the song. Mad at Kid Rock for messing up werewolves of london and sweet home alabama simultaneously uh, sweet home alabama was a little harder to take that happens that happens so frequently it's like all right werewolves of london no kid rock time to look for this nathan do you have any look for this moment definitely the piano the corn and the i don't get it are probably the best scene yeah chad any look for this moments the game josh is playing actually didn't exist It kind of reminds me of like a graphical version of Zork, which was a text-based game. But uh, in 2008, someone actually created a Flash-based version of the game. It's solved in the same way Josh solved it. It's called The Cavern of the Evil Wizard. Interesting. I've got one here. Uh, I want to call out the point where at the end of the movie, when Josh and Susan are basically saying goodbye in the car for the last time as as he's about to walk off to his home, it's scripted that she's supposed to give him a goodbye kiss on the lips. However, Elizabeth Perkins, the actress, um, said, "That's I don't want to do that. This doesn't feel right for the scene at this point. And so she talked Penny Marshall into going for a you know, sentimental kiss on the forehead instead. And judging by all the things that Chad's been saying, I'm guessing this made him more comfortable with the movie. Uh, yeah. Like, once you know that he's 13, you've got to cut that out. 
I did like the part where she yeah. was asking him, like, are you, like, 16, 17? Yeah, she was trying to make it better, but it's still not good. He goes, thir- 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 <laughs> no, because she then, she, she then says, like, you know, in another 10 years, you can yeah. look me up. Like, I think she was hoping to be able to say, you know, in another, you know, six years, look me up. And, yeah. like, like, I can wait that long. And then she, then, then uh, she said, then he said 13. She's like, oh, that's a long wait. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be 18 in a year or two, right? Oh. <laughs> so... I, w- I was confused. This is very early in the movie, but uh, the gym coach is yelling at Billy to put away uh, the equipment. And he's saying Billy needs to work on his layup. He's putting away dodgeballs. No wonder his layup's screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, could they not afford basketballs? I mean, it's public education. Even back then, they didn't have enough money. What do you expect? The layup is truly horrendous in fairness. It is bad. <laughs> it was. True. Of course, then they're playing basketball later. As Tom Hanks is a grown man, and of course Tom Hanks is on his knees. I don't know if you remember that scene. They don't yeah. really score a lot, and it's a sh- very short scene. But he- he's at least practicing. It's true. And then I always want to point out. Uh, Chad mentioned there was an f bomb in this movie, and that's unusual for a PG movie in the thir- in the PG thirteen era. It's the only other movies that have done this are Spaceballs in nineteen eighty seven, Caddyshack two, which is not a good movie from nineteen ninety sorry, from nineteen eighty eight, and Beetlejuice from nineteen eighty eight. Ooh, Beetlejuice. So this is one of four movies in the PG thirteen era that dropped that F bomb. So uh, it is unusual. Yeah, Beetlejuice stuck out to me. Three of those movies are really good, and one of them is Caddyshack too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you didn't specifically say which one isn't bad. Oh wait, yes you did. <laughs> Nathan, are you ready to hand out some awards? I am. Who is your MVP? I have a hunch who it is, but you tell me. Uh, it is John. No, I'm just kidding. It's Tom Hanks. Nice, nice. Chad? Tom Hanks. He just nails that childlike wonder. And even though he was 32, just everything that he pours into this movie, even the extras that we've talked about. Yes, absolutely. And who is your best supporting uh Actor Nathan or Nathan uh, Elizabeth Perkins, who played Susan, of course, because gets the most screen time, and without her, I don't know if the movie would be the same. Ah, more on that later. Chad, who's your best supporting actor? <laughs> All right, you're gonna have to help me out with the last name again, but uh, Robert uh, Logier. Logier. I'm gonna keep doing that. <laughs> uh, so the scenes he shares with Tom Hanks are some of the most fun shots in the movie to me. Uh, even when he gets down like, real low to the ground, and he's mimicking this duck toy and he's mimicking pecking. Like that probably wasn't an easy shot for him. And I just wanted more of his scenes with Tom Hanks. Oh, no, that's a great choice. And actually, I am also going to go stride for stride with you. And I really like Robert Logier. I like that he carried through like he wasn't in the toy business necessarily for every dollar to squeeze every dollar out of it. The warmth of the character comes through, and yes, the piano scene is clearly iconic, and he's a major, major, major part of that. So, and he actually did it. They trained for months. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, months! Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said they did it in one shot, essentially, but uh, they trained really? for quite a while. I'm surprised. I figured that would have been multiple times because yeah. even it's even in the scene, it's not perfect, which I think adds to it. Yeah. Who's your hidden gem, Nathan? <laughs> I've got a sick, twisted sense of humor, so John Lovitz is my hidden gem because he just, the subtle humor that he brings to it while also being a pervert throughout is just great. He is great. I, I feel like if John Lovitz's character, maybe it contributes to the weaseliness, but he was hearing Tom Hanks 
basically have a hostage negotiation, and he just raises his eyebrow and goes back to work. Like, why don't <laughs> you call someone? Crazy guy. <laughs> Carry on. I'll let a lot of things go, but when you're talking about holding someone's child for six weeks, I, I might place a call. <laughs> That's my line. It was the 80s. <laughs> it's true. It was all, Everything was okay in the 80s. So, hidden gem for me is going to be Deborah Jo Rupp. Which was, mine too. Which, which was Kitty from that 70s show. So I uh, needed more of her. She's got great comedic timing, and she was just kind of playing Jane here. Yeah, I, I will admit this is not the performance for her, but it's just one of those fun, like, hey, yeah, that's Kitty from that 70s show. So, I needed a laugh. Yeah, but that I came that. after, though. That's yeah. the thing. It's true. It's true. But, I mean, as Chad points out, we know later that she has this good comedic ability. She's so. capable of it. Yeah, Yeah, I, I want to see her get throwing a little something more than you don't drink coffee <laughs> so deborah joe rupp because i love that 70s show and it made me happy to see kitty foreman in this recast nathan if you had to recast somebody because this movie is pretty well cast but who would you recast if you had to I, I couldn't come up with a name for who i would recast i know you asked me to think about that but i it's something being so far back and just judging it based on who it is and granted i was three when this movie came out so i don't know all the actors of the time that would be able to be recast for any of the specific roles so i i i like it as it is mm, okay okay chad who are you gonna recast i'm recasting john hurd uh, i just i didn't dislike him enough so I'm going with someone like rob lowe who oh is, that's good he is very good at just projecting this condescending arrogance and if not him then maybe james spader if it's closer in age but i feel like rob lowe could really nail that part spader's still playing likable parts at this point in his career but i like the rob lowe one a lot yeah yeah no that's that's a great one i'm thinking because spader i'm thinking is you're closer to the star stargate era for him where he's uh younger and yeah more approachable at this point yep has hair yes not grumpy um, in fact, probably generally pleasant, I would say at this point. So if I had to go with a recast, I say this not because she did a bad job, but I'm going to pick Elizabeth Perkins and, Aww. and, and I'm going to put in, in her place for the role of Susan, Carrie Fisher. Yep. Carrie Fisher is worked with Tom Hanks in the man with one red shoe, as well as the burbs. And they have excellent chemistry in those movies. And, we're not taking Carrie Fisher away from something that important. It's Appointment with Death, which is a British comedy. She's third build in it, but uh, I think that she would really do a great job in this movie. I could see her doing the firm, all business parts, but then loosening up and having a lot of fun. That's essentially Princess Leia. She's stuffy princess to rebel leader. That's true. Aren't you a little short to be a toy salesman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good change. I like that. So uh, I could see it. And I do like Elizabeth Perkins. And by why we're on Elizabeth Perkins, the whole time I kept watching this, I kept saying, like, she looks like Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. Like, it, like I, I even had to go to the extreme. It's like, it's like, I know Millie Bobby Brown is British, but like, is she related to her in some way? Because Mary agreed with me. It's like, there's a lot of resemblance there. I thought she looked like Julia Roberts at points. Oh, okay. I mean the '80s hair is not helpful. Everyone had that hair. Boom! It's big. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the 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 waves, the the height, was so common, and that's the thing. Like, in look, if okay, to be fully honest, if I had to compare her beauty then to now, it doesn't. Yeah, it's 
it's not quite the same. I would probably find someone, but but for the scenes that it was and when she played it, I've just seen it so many times that I, I can't imagine replacing her. That's fair. And like I said, this is a have to recast kind of thing, not a I want to recast yeah. thing. So I, yeah. it's, it's not like I, I, I still love you and big Elizabeth Perkins. This is good work. So um, she's yeah. just not as well known as an actress, especially in movies, as a lot of the other. She didn't develop as as many of the other actors did in their careers. She made it far, but not quite as big as obviously Tom Hanks and so many others. Yeah. So best shot though, Nathan, what's your best cinematic moment of the movie? The piano scene, of course. The I feel like it's the scene that they always show when they're advertising that big is, ne- you know, next on TV, big. And of course the scene they're showing is them playing chopsticks or whatever uh, whichever one it is, either heart and soul or chopsticks. Yeah, yeah, and that's largely shot mostly from above, and then no, I'm not, I, I take that back. It's not just stationary. Now that I think about it. They 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 run clips from above. They then hold it stationary in the middle. They zoom out as the crowds gathering around. So, yeah, that's that's a collection of good shots there. Chad, what's your best shot of the movie? Hands down, the piano scene has to be. Sing us the song of the piano, man. I'm gonna break the streak though on this one, and uh, my favorite cinematic. Uh, moment actually comes when they're dancing and they kiss for the first time and the camera does a 360 spin and the room blurs in the background and the lighting hitting the shimmering uh, elements in the background it's a well shot moment you're such a romantic I guess so I guess so (laughs) this is the wrong movie to be romantic about (laughs) loosen up Chad no I'm not not when it comes to this Do you have something you need to tell us, Russell? Do you really love 13-year-olds? Oh, gosh. (laughs) In the words of Uncle Joey, I'm going to cut it out. Sponsored by (laughs) Nambla. Oh, man. Just just relax and have a fun time. It was the 80s. I am having fun. (laughs) I'm having a blast. Just because your awkwardness doesn't like it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. Oh, man. Okay, that's my best shot. Best scene now, which is a little bit bigger than the shot. Uh, what is your best scene, Nathan? I, I was torn between two of them, and I've, I mentioned it already, but the the I don't get it scene and then the baby <laughs> <Yeah>. corn. <laughs> Him just repeating it, raising his hand, and just, you know, I, I, I don't get it. And then what what don't you get? And then, of course, obviously just the long, drawn-out eating of the baby corn. Nah, that's a good one. Uh, Chad, best scene. Josh trying to tell his mom that it's him as an adult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and just his reactions, he, he breaks the thing that she ma- he made for her. And <laughs> yeah, that was good. He's still getting used to his body, and she's throwing things at him. And then she takes out the knife, and he just runs out. Like, oh, oh that was great. Yes. And somehow his underwear grew with him, too, because he pulls his pants down to show his birthmark, and uh, he has his underwear on, which yes. makes it worse, not better. Yeah, that, that was a weird thing, because he hulked out of the rest of his clothes, but the underwear still worked. That's right. I don't know why, but... It has uh, to be PG. I mean, come on. It works better that it's that way. We had gro- <laughs> we had full-on groping in this movie. Yeah, but no no bare ass. Though. That's, I mean, that's true. On. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we draw the line. That's fine. Exactly. Uh, so for me, my best scene is going to be what Earl's best shot was. And I like the whole scene. I like the toy store in general. So when Tom Hanks is going around playing Laser Storm, 
he bumps into Mr. McMillan. They talk about toys. I actually get a kick out of him talking about the hockey set. And, like, yeah. you know, Mick McMillan's just getting a kick out of him. He's like, wow, you really like these toy things, don't you? And then, again, it leads to the iconic piano scene that you guys are talking about. And uh, since the piano scene has been talked about so much, I'm just going to mention the runner-up for me is I really like it when Josh is on his own in that hotel scene and he's scared and he actually sits down and cries. It shows you a moment of this is a 13-year-old boy and how scared you would really be if you were staying in this hotel and that this whole body thing is actually scary for him. It's one <laughs> I'm of the... 30. I'm 34 in real life, and I think I would cry in that same scene. <laughs> there are gunshots and prostitutes and angry yelling. Yeah, yeah and, and your best friend has, like, gotten you to this point, but then he's got to go. and like A $17 hotel room. <laughs> you're in stolen clothes from a guy that was apparently in a ska band. Like, what was his dad doing? And so it's not a happy part of the movie, but I just want to say that I, I really like what Penny Marshall did here. So she she makes you she makes you feel the feels and it's OK to make you cry a little bit. So I like that. Um, so if you had to change one thing, if you're Penny Marshall, Nathan, uh, what would you change in this movie? <laughs> I think I think we've talked about this already. Uh, Chad mentioned the cheesiness of the ending. And I, I agree with him. I, <laughs> I would make it a little less pedophile or however you might say that and maybe re rework how she finds out that he's 13. Maybe he runs away and she catches up with him after he's already changed instead of before and, and kind of <laughs> just rework. I don't know, just all of it. <laughs> Everything after he runs off kind of loses me a little bit. And then it, it, it rebounds after you know, the whole kiss on the forehead and the, they go their separate ways and he's walking down the street. But I just, I feel like it had such a good highness going through the movie just for that to kind of stubble, you know, that, that kind of fell apart a little bit <laughs> and then it, it ended okay. She's also a suspect in a missing person report now because all of a sudden <laughs> Josh is gone and she was the last person with him. Despite, oh, the, despite the earlier jokes to, about me earlier, this, I like the scene. Oh, man. You're gonna, you say that, but you're going to cut that out. So I, that's not fair. It's staying in. <laughs> All right, good. I nope. expect to hear it later. Nope. But I... it is, you did remind me of a scene, though. It's funny because they're talking about, you know, where'd this kid come from? Who's Josh Baskins? I, I don't know this. As they're drinking milk and his missing photos on the back of the milk <laughs> jug, I completely forgot about that. Right. But right. that's that's also like this the subtleness of that is amazing. Like how inept is the NYPD when <laughs> missing kid Josh Baskins returns and missing adult Josh Baskins on the same day disappears. Like <laughs> case closed, Lou. I don't know, man. They got a lot of missing people in New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah they, were, they were busy being murdered by that guy trying to stab the woman in there. <laughs> yes, sure. It was like the eighties. Coke was rampant. Yeah. Stabbing robot from Futurama. Yeah, I'm cutting that <laughs> I, I'm going a step further. I'm removing especially the implied sex scene in the groping. Like that part it's creepy enough, but that scene kind of pushes me over the edge. I would actually go so far as remove the love story altogether. Whoa! Maybe have some flirting or like people coming on to him and him liking that, but never going, especially don't go this X route. Like, wow. I, I disagree though. Cause I think, I think the, the whole movie built up to that exact scene of, I mean, they don't show it obviously, but them having sex, they, they implied sex Yeah. because he's going 
he's going through all stages of puberty and adulthood in a short amount of time. It's on a 13-year-old's mind. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, it starts the movie that way. They're talking about looking down and see her flower, which is a unique way of referencing things. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it starts about talking about looking down her shirt. And it took, by the way, talking about that, it took Billy three quarters of the movie to realize that, hey, we can go get beer and porno mags. I'm like, why did it take three quarters of the movie? I was pretty certain this would be the first thing. With the... They only had enough money to get to a hotel that cost seventeen dollars in yeah. New York. <laughs> no, with these suggestions you're making, Chad, it's, this is this has gone full blown G. I'm not going G. I'm just saying don't have a 13 year old grow up a 28 year old and then have sex with them because then you've got to answer for that later in the movie. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling like this is turning into a Hannah Montana movie where it's like Josh. <laughs> You ate ice cream for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that would be horrible. Womp, womp, womp. You, can't, you can't not have sex in the movie, though. Like, as as obscure and horrible as it is, I, I get your point of going that direction. She's an aggressive lady. I mean, it's it's one of the fundamentals of life. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, the average man thinks of it every 5.823 seconds. Uh, that kind of crap. So, to... To cut that out of a movie when every man child would be thinking about it, I think I think you'd lose more people by cutting that out. At least um, that's my opinion. I'm fine with flirting and coming on and things like that, but uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then my change one thing is going to be just get more John Lovitz into the movie, and I want to do this <laughs> by I want when when jo when uh, Josh is promoted. I want him to have to have an assistant and he doesn't have any adult friends. So he would bring in the only guy that he happens to know from the computer department with him. And because he's given him a promotion, I would actually like the fact that John Lovett's character is kind of protective of him. And so when Paul's trying to like, you know, get on his case, I would like to see a, uh, you know, uh, John Lovett's character chomping at Paul's character and go back and forth. Uh, so uh, I would like to see him get a collection of friends, not just Susan, but also have a, a goofy adult friend move up through the corporate ladder with him, and that being John Lovitz. And uh, like I said, more John Lovitz would go a long way. He and Tom Hanks are a good duo. So. Yes. Um, best quote of the movie, Nathan. <laughs> so <laughs> I picked the best one based on everything else we've talked about. I said it's, it's when John Lovitz turns to him and says, watch out for her, she'll wrap her legs so tight around you, you'll be begging for mercy, to which he responds, I'll stay away from her then. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah, so, that's all, brilliant. All of the innuendos that go over his head are just great. The facial expression that he gives too, like his head goes back, his eyes get yeah. big. Well, I'll stay away from her. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm scared of her. There you go. Instead of instead of him sleeping with Susan, which we know happens, but they never show. They, they could have done the ultimate twist, and he ends up with the uh, office promiscuous woman that, that John warned him about. Yeah, that's it's. I'm okay with not doing that, but. <laughs> um, there's a line even for Russell yeah, yeah let's not there go there yeah, yeah we found it Penny Marshall knows what she's doing she made a good movie uh, Chad what is your best quote of the movie because I wasn't great at math in school for me it's forget all the X's and Y stuff that was invented by some teacher who hates kids <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with uh, Susan says I'm not sure we should do this and as they're about to go into Josh's apartment and Josh is like, do what? Well, I like you and I want to spend the night with you. And Josh looks at her and he goes, do you mean sleep over? Well, yeah. 
And Josh's like, okay, but I get to be on top. <laughs> referring yes, to very good. referring to the bunk beds that will later be inside, but uh, obviously meaning something very different to you. When she you're... knows nothing about bunk beds. Yes. Wow, that's all he knows. I also really like the moment too when he's in his job interview and uh, the guy's like, what well, was called George, uh, Josh was telling him where he went to school. He's like, it was called George Washington. And the interviewer's like, oh, GW, my brother-in-law got his doctorate there. Did you pledge? <laughs> yes, yeah. every morning. Every morning. <laughs> pledge of allegiance. Yeah, baby. All a 13-year-old boy wants is a 13-year-old girl, and I sure don't know how to build one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Give me uh, time. And I just had to give a nod to one other line there. I like the line of uh, when Paul's frustrated with that Susan's leaving him. He says, what's so special about Baskin? And then she goes, he's a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of got an egg on her face from that one. Yep. I just like the irony of it. So. Yes, this movie is full of them. And they've done it so well. So we've come full circle. And now it's time to give this movie a rating on a five-star scale. Nathan, what do you rate? Penny Marshall and Tom Hanks is big. Oh, so difficult. But I'm I I'm never quite able to give a movie a five out of five unless it really deserves it. But this is really good. And other than a few minor tweaks to the ending that I think would be better, I give it a strong four point five out of five. Okay. Okay. And Chad, five star scale, big from nineteen eighty eight. I'm gonna give it I'll say four and a half uh, for reasons that are well covered here. Uh, I was talking to Russell before we started the podcast. This kind of reminds me of an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode with uh, Zoltar. Uh, I, I feel like this the second <laughs> he just... Haunt your dreams. Yeah, the second he discovers it's unplugged, I feel like someone's coming in saying, submitted for your approval uh, to the Midnight Society. I call this tale big. But... Uh, <laughs> The moral of this entire story is be respectful to vending machines. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't until Josh threw a little mini tantrum that uh, Zoltar worked, and it cursed him. He was not, I mean, he was happy. I don't first. know what you're talking about. He banged on the, the same vending machine twice and got his wish granted both times. Yeah. If you're telling me I could do that tomorrow, <laughs> I'd be banging on the first Voltron machine I came across. Heck, Nathan's going to go down to the 7-Eleven, bang on the machine, and be like, give me that Pikachu doll. <laughs> it was, Maybe I'd aim a little higher than that, but you're on the right track. It was a curse to teach him a lesson. So be respectful to vending machines, kids. Oh man, that's a good Chad take. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go full five here because this movie just flat out makes me happy. I don't remember too many movies that just I sit there and I smile throughout the whole movie. There's not a scene I'd want to cut from it. Uh, I, I'm I'm fine with the ending, uh, and perhaps that's the difference maker here. But it makes me laugh. It is sentimental. It gives you the feels. And it's just a really, really great movie that I think has aged well. I liked it when I was young. I like it better as I've gotten older. And I suspect even as I have a kid, uh, maybe I will like it even better. So, um, Do you feel like Josh's story is going to fall apart, though? Because he's got to explain a kidnapper and that he's been gone for six weeks to the police because they're going to have some questions. 
Like, all of this is just going to fall apart. It's a pretty and dark That's ending. why the movie stopped when it did. <laughs> I like I like that there's not a big two as well, where another kid puts the thing into his old horror machine and we don't we get a lesser-known actor doing the whole same thing. You, you couldn't do a big two because they made ten different knockoff versions of this and all the other movies you mentioned that came out within a year span. I mean, 13 going on 30, uh, parent, split, what, are, what is it called? The... Uh, or swapping places. I don't Freaky know. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. Yeah, so many of them that <laughs> to make a big two. I don't know if it would work and just fall flat on its face. I suspect we'll see it again. So um, it's only a matter of time before you find. It won't be. It won't be big two. It'll be some other name on the Hallmark Channel. Watch out! I mean, reboot fever is in full swing. I mean, uh, you never know. It could get rebooted, and that would be a sad day. This is a candidate Maybe. for uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Mm. That I might watch, though. <laughs> so, Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Absolutely. Uh, option number one. By the way, we're going to do some movies that feature iconic cars. we gotta, we got to appreciate the automobile in this next episode. So, you ready for some car movies? Absolutely. Option one, Cannonball Run from 1981. A variety of eccentric competitors participate in a wild and illegal cross-country road race. However, eccentric, uh, the eccentric entrants will do anything to win the road race, including low-down dirty tricks. It's kind of a forerunner to the movie Rat Race, but it's also a make-off of the It's a Mad, Mad, Crazy World. Stars Burt Reynolds and Farrah Fawcett. Very good. Uh, option number two, The Fast and the Furious. Uh, which one, you ask? The first one. Uh <laughs> It is the Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor must decide where his loyalty really lies with the uh, becoming enamored with the street racing world that he has been set out to undercover to destroy. And option number three, Bullet, starring Steve McQueen from 1968. An all guts, no glory San Francisco cop becomes uh, determined to find the underworld kingpin that killed the witness in his protection. I think I'm mostly just sad that The Fast and the Furious is eligible for the list, this list. It feels much less time than 10 years. Almost 20 now. 2001. 2001. Wow. Yeah, that, took, that was almost 20 years ago. Well, That's, they've made 19 of them. Yes, there's there's a yeah, lot. You might, you might cut my comment out, but please don't do that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's staying! <laughs> <laughs> Bullet. Bullet will be my choice. I... That's an interesting Much one. better call. Like Steve McQueen. Who, who, I feel like it's going to be the lowest rating you'd ever get if you did Fast and the Furious. Because everyone would be like, yeah, I don't care. I, <laughs> or I've seen it already. My wife don't. loves those. I think that it would go well, but I think Bullet's going to go well. The AFI puts this in the top 50 for uh, best thrillers of all time. So you can't go wrong with it. It's got it's got uh, some serious action. If you like chase scenes, it's uh, it's definitely one to see. And uh, it's also uh, got the lovely uh, Jacqueline Bissett in it. So, uh, yeah. yep, a lot, lot of good stuff in this one. I can't wait to get into that one next week. And Impact. Yes. And so, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on for your first time. We hope you had fun. Oh, tons of fun. Thanks. Look forward to the next one if you have me back. Absolutely. And uh, to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Thank you for listening. 
If you could give us a subscript, or sorry, subscribe, rate, and review to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com if you like the show or want to be on the show. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop. Shimmy, shimmy, pow. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bop. Shimmy, shimmy, pow. Nice.